Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to how God's preached word affects every moment of our daily lives. This sermon was preached by Pastor Tim Barone at Holy Cross Lutheran Church. Well, grace and peace to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're continuing uh, through Romans beginning in chapter 9 um, today, so if you'd open up to that with me. Um, and if we remember a little bit from last week and where we've been, uh, Romans 5 through 8, and especially 8, is really about our assurance in Christ, how nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Now in chapter 9, uh, we turn the corner and start to think about some of the challenging things that happen uh, to those who are in Christ, and the mystery uh, that not all people are saved, even though it is God's holy will. So I'll read for us uh, the beginning of chapter 9. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham, because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year, I will return, and Sarah will, shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. This is God's holy word. So certainly uh, some challenging things in uh, Romans 9 and following. We're going to uh, walk through it. Just want to encourage you to really uh, stay along because it, it's a continued conversation. Um, first First thing right off the bat is when uh, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated is quoted here. That's from the book of Malachi. A lot of times in the Jewish uh, way of speaking, they draw out strong contrasts. And so Jesus will even teach this way. And it doesn't mean loathing, you know, in the way we would think of the word hate in many cases, but rather I prefer. And so, for instance, when he says, hey, if you want to be my disciple, you have to hate your mother and your father. Right? Does he saying that you, everyone is, who's a Christian should hate 
mother and father? No, of course not, but that you must prefer one to the other. And so this is a, a Jewish way of talking. It doesn't mean that God is loathing uh, Esau and later the Edomites, but rather the promise is not going through them, but rather through the people of Jacob. Okay? Uh, so going to the beginning, we're going to think a little bit about this text together. And as I mentioned just a minute ago, uh, we see in Romans 8 this, in Christ we have assurance. And it's really kind of a mountaintop text. Well, nothing can separate us from God's love. Uh, we have been chosen in Christ. Christ is the one who has uh, died in our place. He is the new Adam. All shall live through him. Uh, even if we struggle with our sin, in Christ we have assurance. Even if the world is falling apart, all creation is groaning, we who are in Christ have security and assurance. Um, it's an exclusive place, right? So if you are in Christ, that means you're baptized and you're believing, you have this assurance. And the opposite must be true as well. And that is this, outside of Christ we are lost. And it's very important that we keep this distinction clear in our minds and we believe it wholeheartedly that if you are outside Christ, you cannot be saved. Uh, and the reason we have to hold this is because there's a great temptation for us to try to blur this line. There's a, good, there's a motivation and it's kind of a, an empathetic motivation that those who are outside of Christ, we don't want to feel that they are lost. Right? We don't want to... Uh, think that they have no chance of salvation if they are not believing. But it is the case. Um, the, we want the assurance. We want to say, in Christ, I have security. In Christ, I don't fear the, the problems of this world. In Christ, I don't fear death. We want that assurance, right? At the same time, we have to say, if those clear promises of those who are in Christ are, are assured and saved, those who do not bear those clear promises don't have them. And we have to kind of wrestle with this reality. And that's exactly what St. Paul is doing. If, if we say, well, maybe it's the case, right, that those who are outside Christ um, have assurance. Maybe they'll find another way. All right, what that does is it tears down our own confidence in what God has actually said and the actual promise that he has spoken over us in Christ. And so, as painful as this is for those who have people outside of the faith, we have to hold this as true and not back down. And the great temptation is to blur this line because our hearts are pulled apart, right? That's what Paul's talking about here in the beginning of this chapter. Let's see what he says. He says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying my conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. So here I want you to notice, here is a godly attitude um, towards those who are outside of Christ. It's a broken heart. If we believe um, that Jesus is the only way, if we believe that there's only one salvation from God uh, in the person of Jesus Christ and that those who are not in him are lost, what, what should it do for our hearts? It should cause us grief. 
It should cause us pain. And we don't like pain. We want to avoid it. But as we are in Christ, we belong to Him. We have His Spirit. The Spirit might drive you to some godly sorrows because of this reality. On the other hand, if you reject that sorrow you'll be led to indifference and also unbelief. And so I think these things are uh, necessarily follow, right? That faith leads to godly sorrow and a sacrifice for the lost. It turns our hearts toward them, but faithlessness leads to indifference. Oh, I'm sure they're fine. I don't have to worry about it. But look at what St. Paul says. He says, I wish I was cut off from Christ. I, I, I could wish this, that I had lost salvation for the sake of my friend, my brother, my sister. And I think this is the way that the Holy Spirit works in us. It's not comfortable. But the Holy Spirit causes us to be conformed to the work and the life of Christ. And Christ is the one who comes and is accursed for us. Right? This is exactly what Jesus did for you. He was cut off from his heavenly Father. He was accursed so that you, dear friends, could be included. And so as we are following Christ, we might be called into a pattern much like this, where we are called to godly sorrow. Jesus was a man acquainted with sorrow and sufferings. And we are called to a place of sacrifice for those who are outside of the Christian faith. And this is our calling. So let's continue on with this. He says uh, about Israel, the Jewish people, the genetic Israel, we could say. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ. All of these blessings going for the people of Abraham, right? The people related to Jacob, how God interacted with them, adopted them, showed them his law, showed them worship, and eventually brought forward the Christ. But all of those blessings given to them are squandered if they cannot agree with the next phrase in this verse, right? Again, from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever, amen. Can everyone just say amen? amen? Yeah. So this is the dividing line, right? The dividing line, the Jewish people, the people of God, they had all of these blessings, all of this interaction with God, but when Yahweh himself came down and said, hey, I'm God, they said, let's kill him. And that's kind of what the parable that Jesus was preaching is about too, that he came to his own, but they did not recognize him and they ended up rejecting him. What a terrible tragedy this is. Um, if we look in this text, it says, Jesus is God over all, blessed forever, amen. I want you to notice that this actually popped up earlier in the text of Romans 2, all the way back in chapter 1. And so you're free to turn there. I put it up here on the screen for us as well. But Paul conf is confessing here that Jesus is God. He says, Christ is forever blessed. He's God over all. And Romans 1 said this about the creator, right? The one who created the heavens and the earth. He said this about people. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie 
and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. And so Paul is confessing here with the same language that the same God who created the heavens and the earth is Jesus. Same Jesus. And this is exactly what got Jesus killed and rejected. And so in John chapter 5, for example, uh, it says this, that the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. That's why they were trying to kill him. And eventually they got him, right? Matthew 26, when Jesus is before the high priest on trial, The high priest says to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said, you have said so, but I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his own words. This is what drove them to kill Jesus because in no uncertain terms, Jesus was claiming to be the creator of the heavens and the earth. And so to reject the creator of the heavens and the earth is to reject God himself. To reject uh, God himself is to reject life itself, to reject truth itself. And so Jesus is the truth. And so no wonder that we grieve when those that we love reject the truth, because in rejecting Christ, they reject life itself. And so Paul is grieving because of this. And then it brings up another question. Um, Did God fail in his work towards his people because many of them rejected him? Is it God's fault? And if if God could let them fail, could he let us fail, right? The church might ask this question, and this is what uh, Paul continues Um, to explain that even though much of Israel rejected the Christ, God still fulfilled his promises through them and for him, uh, for them. And so let's look what he says uh, in verse 6. It is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all the children of Abraham, because they are his offspring, Uh, But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. So it's important that he's making a distinction here. There's genetic Israel, people who are related to Abraham and Jacob, the forefathers. And then there's those all along who have been selected and called by God and who believe In the promise. And so the point is, no, God's promise, God's word did not fail, but rather those who did not believe it failed. And so it's not God's shortcoming. And so he's going to prove that God has always been working uh, in this way. He has always worked through promise, and those promises have not failed at all, and therefore they will not fail you. And so he brings up a few examples. The first one he brings up um, is Abraham, right? Abraham and Isaac. So this story, he's quoting some things, these things. And if you were uh, a Jewish uh, person knowing the Old Testament scriptures, knowing these stories very well, you'd key in right to what he's saying. 
But let me kind of help bridge the gap a little bit here. It says, through Isaac shall your offspring be named, right? Isaac was the miracle baby born to Abraham and Sarah when they were like 190. Remember that? And God was like, listen, you old folks, you're going to have a baby, right? And they're like, are you sure? And they said yes. And they, after about a year, they thought, you know what? Maybe God meant that Abraham should uh, sleep with the servant, and that's how this promise is going to be fulfilled. Because, you know, we're too old for all that. But maybe God wants us to do it this way. And So Abraham did that and brought forth Ishmael, right? And this was the natural-born child of Abraham. But God is saying here, no, listen to what the promise says. For Look in verse 9. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year, I will return and Sarah will have a son. This was God's plan. Uh, And so did that work? Did this happen? Yes. So human power, human invention would have gone towards Ishmael for salvation. But God said through Isaac. Well, who won, you could say? Who achieved? God did. Through Isaac. That's how the promise came to be. And then he goes and gives us another example. And that's the example of um, Jacob and Esau. So this is what he says. And not only so, but also when Rebekah, this is uh, the next generation, when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, In order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. And as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. So convention at the time would say, where does the inheritance go? Who is the firstborn, right? Esau would have been the firstborn. But God said it's going to go through Jacob, the secondborn. And look what it says in verse 11. I think this is the key. That though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. What's Paul putting forward? He's saying, and this is uncomfortable, I think, that Before you did anything good or bad, right or wrong, lovely or ugly, God is the one who chooses salvation. God is the one who achieves salvation. Well, why is that hard for us to believe and understand? Well, we want to be God, first of all, and we want to call the shots, and we want to make salvation happen by our own efforts and our own works and our own intellect. And God says, no. If anyone comes into God's salvation, it's because God has chosen them in Christ. Before you, did any, before you were pretty, before anyone loved you, before there was anything good, God's purpose of election won. And that makes us uncomfortable because we don't like being out of control as humans. Uh, But this is saying that God is the one who fulfills his call, his purpose, cannot be stopped. Even if people reject his word, his ways, 
God is the one who causes salvation by choosing us. And so he's showing that God's word does not fail, nor has it failed. People fail to receive this, but God always gets what he, what he wants. And so what are we going to do with this text? And this is going to be kind of the theme for the next couple of weeks, is this reality that many reject the promises of the living God. But this is one takeaway, that God's promise to save cannot be stopped by our disobedience or anyone's disobedience. Right? Even though Abraham rejected, even though the people of God rejected, even though many that we know reject the living God and faith in his name, it does not stop his purposes from advancing. Does everyone see that? Didn't stop it at all. God just, God's promise, his word just continues to go forward just as he said and even, and we'll see this in the coming chapters, that even opposition to God's word ends up creating more salvation for more people as God uses that opposition for the good of, of others. So that's the first thing, that God's promise cannot be stopped by human disobedience. And then second, uh, no one forces their way into salvation. It is God's choice. And so this is kind of the whole idea of Romans, that no one's works, no one's good deeds is going to get them into God's salvation. No adherence to the law is going to get them there. No one can force their way in saying, open the gates of heaven, I'm coming in. But everyone, both Jewish people and Gentile people, uh, you and me, everyone in the whole creation comes into salvation in the same exact way and that is on their knees before the risen Christ, humbly asking for forgiveness and being saved. That's the only way. And this is the only salvation that God has put forward uh, for all creation. So no one will force their way in. They come in through Christ alone, and it is God's work, God's choice, God's choosing, and God's efforts that brings people into salvation. And so as we continue to think about these uh, deep things, uh, I pray that God would strengthen our faith and that we would allow God to be God in our salvation because that's where we can be secure. Uh, let's pray together. Uh, Lord God, we are grieved when we see that, that many reject your name, reject your words, uh, and fail to receive the salvation you've prepared uh, we thank you, Lord, that nothing that we can do can stop your salvation. We thank you that your words to this world are certain and that all who trust in those words will never be put to shame. We ask, Lord, that you would give us faith in our hearts, that we would trust you with salvation and that we would rejoice in the reality that we have been called according to Christ Jesus for salvation in your presence. And we pray these things in the name of the risen Christ. Amen. Thank you.